all around us. Every day. We come in contact with them. We see them. People who seem to have absolutely no joy in their lives. Now granted, there are a lot of folks that may have substitutes for joy in their lives. They may have innumerable amusements, they may have expensive entertainments, and they may have many pleasures of life and a number of toys in their adult toy box. But they don't have joy. And to make matters worse, in case no one's told you, we're living in some trying times right now. We've been under quarantine orders. We've been under mask orders. We've been under stay-at-home orders. And we've been under all kinds of orders we never thought would be possible. Goodness sakes, you ladies had to go over a month some of you, without going to the beauty shop. I heard so much talk about, oh, I hope my roots don't start showing. We're living in an age and a time that is filled with anxiety. And we are living in a world that is threatened continuously by political and economic storm clouds. If you watch the news, sometimes it seems like these storm clouds are gathering with a deepening and frightening intensity. Sometimes it, it almost makes you feel like you're sitting on a keg of dynamite. The world is gradually going to go to pieces and, and all it's going to take is for somebody to come and light the fuse to that keg of dynamite you're sitting on. And I wonder, you wonder... We all wonder, how can someone find joy in a world like ours is today? I think that our text this morning is a passage that speaks to the longing of our hearts. A longing that we have to find joy in our lives. A longing that we have to live enthusiastically. A longing that we have to live zestfully. But, we miss out, I think, on the depth of this text as long as it remains crouched in the language of the King James translation. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That's the way the King James translates that phrase. Fervent in spirit. Personally, I like Dr. Moffat's translation of that little phrase. Dr. Moffat says, Maintain the spiritual glow while you serve the Lord. Think about that. Maintain the spiritual glow. Personally, I like the sound of that. Well, what did Paul mean by that? Paul meant maintaining the spiritual glow. Paul meant that to be a Christian, 
is to live life with enthusiasm. To be a Christian is to live life zestfully. To be a Christian is to live a life that's filled with joy. You know, I've seen lots of folks get really excited at at ball games and concerts and other types of events of that nature. Some folks can get thrilled with a new dress, a new suit, or a new pair of shoes. You want to see me like a kid in a candy store? Take me to an outlet mall to a Johnson & Murphy factory store. And watch me start drooling over all the men's shoes in there. You just can't have too many shoes. And I know some ladies out there that are they're not saying amen, but they're shaking their heads this way. And if you can't say amen, just raise your hand. I'll know what you mean. Other folks can get excited over a new bass boat. Some folks can get just downright giddy over a taco bar. Folks go and they fight for a front row seat at a concert or a sporting event. And how about church? <laughs> Let's get there early so we can get a back seat this morning. We can glowingly share a, a new recipe for a double fudge chocolate butter cake. We can tell glowingly about a big sale that's going on at, at Dillard's or Macy's or somewhere. We can talk the newest stats on sports teams. How are we at sharing the gospel? A.W. Tozer was a great preacher of another day, another generation. And he had this to say. He said in some churches... Christianity has been watered down so much that the solution has become so weak that if it was poison, it wouldn't kill anybody, and if it was medicine, it wouldn't cure anyone. I like that. And then, of course, you remember Henry David Thoreau? Thoreau was a poet, a contemporary, a writer and contemporary of Ralph Waldo Emerson. Thoreau is most famous for his book or his booklet on, Go on Walden Pond. And it's a book all about civil disobedience. And that's what most folks remember about Thoreau was civil disobedience. And he wrote about marching to the beat of a different drummer. But what we don't remember is something else Thoreau said. And that was this. None are so old as those who have outlived enthusiasm. Well, as I said, in the passage that's our text, Paul tells us that being a Christian involves enthusiasm. Paul says maintain the spiritual glow. That to follow Jesus, to call Jesus Lord and call Jesus Master, is to have a glowing inside my heart. And you see, that was something that Paul had learned from Jesus Himself. 
It was also something that Paul had learned from his fellow saints. And more than that, it was Paul's own experience. Paul had known suffering. Paul had known hardship. More than once, Paul had been to the whipping post. Paul had been stoned and left for dead. Paul had seen the inside of more Roman prisoners, prisons than a lot of criminals do. We find Paul at times without his freedom and barely enough clothing to keep him warm. But you never find that soldier of the cross without a glowing in his heart. And whatever we might think of Jesus and watching the newscasters in our day and time, some don't think much of Jesus. But whatever folks might think of Jesus, we're impressed with the fact that Jesus lived with enthusiasm. Jesus constantly maintained a spiritual glow that nothing could overshadow. It was Jesus who had spoken of blessings to the poor in spirit. It was Jesus that spoke of joy to the meek. And it was Jesus, if you look through this book, it was Jesus who over and over says, Be of good cheer. Jesus walked the dusty roads of Palestine, and Jesus was among people that had, whose lives had grown dull and people whose lives had grown gray. The sick, the lame, the disfigured, the downtrodden, they were constantly coming to Jesus. And Jesus was always trying to impart to them the secret of that inner glow. That was the message He spoke to some folks on a mountainside. On that far off day, Jesus had said, You are the salt of the earth. Now that passage is so simple, it can be understood by a child. Salt is something that brings flavor to what it comes in contact with. How many of you ladies have ever had everyone sit down at the table and you bow your heads and you thank God for the bountiful blessings and as the heads are lifted from prayer, you ladies, some of you have said, by the way, the potatoes probably need more salt or the beans need more salt or something needs more salt. Is there any of you that have never said that? Exactly. That statement, where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, that's so simple any child can understand it, and yet it is so profound that even the wisest people among us cannot fully grasp the depth of that statement. Jesus meant by that, when He said, you are the salt of the earth, Jesus meant that to be a Christian is to be different. 
Have you ever noticed about Jesus as you read the stories? How persistently He was in expecting those that followed Him to be better and to be finer than those people that did not follow Him? Did you detect in that one story the disappointment when He asked His friends, well, you do all this that you're required to do, but what do you more than others? That was the question He asked in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 47 when He asked of them, you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? When Jesus Christ found His followers to be no more attractive and no more unselfish than those who did not know Him, you know what it did? It broke His heart. Well, that brings up a question that we might ask ourselves. What difference has Jesus Christ made in my life? What is there inside of me that would not be different and would not be there if it were not for Jesus? What is there inside of me that wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Jesus? If the answer is nothing, then my Christianity is a failure. When Jesus said, you are salt, He meant that you and I, me, you, us, we are to be different. He makes something else abundantly clear. This difference is to be a positive difference. There are too many folks in our world today who view Christianity in terms of harmlessness. How many times have you heard someone make this statement? Well, I'm not so bad. Have we not all heard that at one point or another in our lives? Beloved, a Christian is not one who simply does no harm. He or she is a positive factor in the home, in the church, and in the community. A Christian's presence makes a difference. A Christian is not someone that can be ignored any more than salt can be ignored. Salt is a positive thing, and when it's absent from our food, we notice it. We miss it. And it's also something we recognize when it's present. That's the way we're supposed to be. If we're absent from people's lives, they're supposed to notice that we're not there. And if we're present in people's lives, we're supposed to make a difference. We're supposed to be a purifying force and a preventative force. Without the presence and influence of Christ-like character, this world of ours does not climb upward, it slips downward. 
Without the presence of Christ-like character, we don't make progress toward the mountaintops. We deteriorate and we rot down. We're witnessing that in our country right now. But, with all of that, the richest meaning in being a Christian is to have enthusiasm for life. The richest meaning in being a Christian is to find a tang in the feast of life and be able to impart that tang of life to someone else. And without the salt of Christ-like character, life becomes insipid. The Christian knows the secret of that spiritual glow that we need to maintain. And here is a privilege that every one of us can enjoy. And it's a privilege that all of us have. We can have zest for life. We can have enthusiasm for life. That a man or a woman of the world, a man or a woman without Jesus Christ in their life, will never be able to know or comprehend. Paul says, maintain the spiritual glow. We have a joy, Paul says, and we are to have a joy. The world is a stranger to. But the concept of maintaining that spiritual glow, it means we can lose that spiritual glow. To keep that glow and to keep that radiance and to live life with enthusiasm it requires some effort on our part. And the loss of our radiance, the loss of our zest, the loss of our joy, the loss of our enthusiasm, that is a possibility that threatens all of us. I think every one of us could name someone that we know that once a time had that joy and that enthusiasm and that radiance. But for so many people, that radiance and that spiritual glow is something that belongs to their yesterdays. You remember how Jesus followed that declaration about the salt of the earth? He said, if the salt has lost its savor, it is henceforth good for nothing. Again, I'm going to appeal to Dr. Moffat. He said if the salt has lost its savor, if it becomes insipid, he says. He says if the salt becomes insipid, it is good for nothing. That's a word we don't use a lot, isn't it? But it's a revealing word, and it's a good word. I, I may start trying to use it a little more. For one thing, it'll make some people I'm talking to have to go look it up in the dictionary to see what it means. 
insipid. It's a revealing word that means dull, bland, characterless, tame, uninteresting, boring, unappetizing. I've had people tell me that was a pretty insipid sermon. I think that was the use of the word that means boring. Could be dull or bland, tame. Could be a lot of those things, couldn't it, Leon? Insipid. What is insipid? Insipid is the church at Ephesus that left its first love. Insipid is the church at Laodicea that made the Lord want to vomit. Insipid is that prodigal son in the far country slopping the hogs because he's wasted his inheritance. Insipid is the prodigal son's elder brother, sullen and pouting when the prodigal returns home. We've got to be careful and make sure we don't become insipid as a part of the family of God. We can be good folks, not crooks, not worthless heathen sinners. But we can lose that spiritual glow and that burning heart and become insipid Christians. When we lose that inward glow that Paul tells us to maintain, it means the loss of joy. To fail to live enthusiastically and to fail to live life with zest and gusto. That's to fail to live joyfully. To fail in maintaining that inward glow is to have the light in your heart die. How many people in this world of ours today are bored with life? How many people are bored with religion? How many people in this world of ours today go to church just about like an old cow goes to the slaughterhouse? Remember the elder brother we mentioned a moment ago in Luke chapter 15? What was the matter with that elder brother? He wasn't a criminal. He hadn't taken his inheritance and spent it in the far country on riotous living. He was a rather upright and honest chap. He was a clean, hard-working boy. But he was possessed of the spirit of a slave. There was not in his heart the thrill of immortal music. Because that boy had lost his spiritual glow. And losing that spiritual glow, he'd lost his song. But this tragedy of losing that spiritual glow, folks, it goes even deeper than that. When we lose our zest for life, when we lose our enthusiasm, when we lose that spiritual glow, then we've likely lost our usefulness. And when we no longer find joy in serving the Lord, 
Sometimes folks just quit altogether. Over the years, I've ran into, run into a lot of folks that had just quit the church. And more often than not, when I've said to them, why did you quit the church? Why did you leave the Lord? The most common answer I've gotten over the years is, well, I just lost interest. I didn't find any thrill in the program of the church. I just didn't feel like the church was meeting my needs. Let's bring it down where folks live. Those who fail to live zestfully. And those who fail to live enthusiastically usually become useless because they lose their attractiveness. Remember that old story? I've told this story a thousand times, and it's going to, this will make a thousand and one. But it's a story from Preaching 101. I think it's about the first day of illustrations in Preaching 101. About the little boy and his grandmother walking down the lane at the farm. And over here in the pasture is an old mule. Old mule and the little boy says, Grandmother, is that mule over there a Christian? Well, no, child. What gave you that idea that that mule would be a Christian? Well, that mule had such a long face, I figured it must be a Christian. That's an old story. First time I heard that story, I kicked a slat out of my crib. But a joyless religion is the most unattractive thing there is on the top side of God's green earth. A joyless religion is the most ugly, repellent thing in the world. It is the Christian who lives a life full of joy and happiness and enthusiasm and a Christian that maintains the spiritual glow of being able to see Jesus living in them. That's the kind of Christian that's attractive and the kind of Christian that draws other people to Jesus Christ. We can maintain that spiritual glow. But we've got to keep our faces toward the future and we've got to keep our faces toward Jesus. Paul said, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forth to the things that are before, I press toward the prize, the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We maintain that spiritual glow by facing the future and facing Jesus And we've got to keep in touch with Jesus. You remember those two heartbroken disciples on their way back to Emmaus after Jesus had been crucified? Their master had been crucified. Their world had crumbled. The bottom had dropped out of everything for them. And for those two disciples on the way to Emmaus in the closing part of the Gospel according to Luke... For them, their future was in ruins. But then Jesus came near to them. And Jesus started walking along with them. And guess what? At first, they didn't even recognize it was Jesus. But that night, as they bowed their heads over their evening meal and Jesus prayed, they recognized Him. And they said, Did not our heart burn within us? While He talked to us on the way. When we maintain 
our closeness to Jesus. And when we maintain our fellowship with Jesus, our hearts will burn within us and nothing can take away our joy. The question is, what is your relationship to Jesus Christ this morning? Is Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of your life? If He's not Lord and Master of all of your life, He's not Lord and Master at all of your life. And to have that spiritual glow, for others to see Jesus living in you, to live a life filled with joy and enthusiasm, Jesus must be Lord and Master of all of your life. I don't know what's going on in your life, but if you need to make changes, if there's something you need to do for Jesus to be the Lord and Master of your life, this is your opportunity to do it as together we stand and while we sing.